at four areas concerning the passages of Scripture we're going to be dealing with as we talk about the subject of faith. As we look to these four subjects concerning pretentious faith and then the, the uh, Pharisees and scribes that were prohibiting uh, the type of faith that the Lord Jesus Christ was sharing with the people uh, and uh, the profiting that they were receiving from uh, the people of faith. And then if we have time, we want to get into the producing of faith and the results that come from producing faith. But as we stand and give reverence to the Word of God, I want us to read down through the passage beginning with verse number 11 to verse number 26. I will lead you in prayer and then we'll see if we can move through rapid succession into some of these areas and then spend times on areas that I feel like are very pertinent to our moment and day and time and how it would apply to us. Mark's Gospel chapter 11 verse number 11 and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about all things, and now the evening was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. So on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came, he found nothing but the leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet, so Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit there, or of thee, excuse me, thereof forever. And his disciples heard it, and they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all of the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answered and saith unto them, have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and which shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, 
which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we want to move very quickly into the pretentious faith there. And we've already read the text. I want to, again, bring your attention to the fact that we read in verse number 13 that he found that there was a fig tree that had leaves. But when he went to the fig tree, there were no leaves on it. So he cursed the fig tree. And in the morning as they passed by, as you see in verse number 20, they saw the fig tree was dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. The fig tree, as we understand, represents the nation of Israel. It also represents the fact that Israel's all prevailing hope was the Messianic hope. And all the scriptures that they understood in the Old Testament, that's why when Matthew writes, he writes to the Jews. And he's very careful to document everything that was said in the Old Testament. And you'll find throughout the Gospel of Matthew as it is written. And so it was understood by the Jews how the Messiah would come. Jesus Christ fulfilled every iota of those prophecies. But for some reason, their eyes were blinded to that. They refused to look. They refused to investigate. They said, well, he's in Nazareth. Can anything come out of Nazareth? They never investigated to find out where he was born. And the Bible had prophesied that he would be born in the city of David, in the house of bread, in the place called Bethlehem. But they never in any, in any way looked to that place. And so it was fulfilled by the psalmist, and that was David in Psalm 66. And the apostle Paul gives reference to why Israel is withered up. And remember, they are the fig tree. They represent the fig tree. And why Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree, and why the fig tree was withered up and is now gone. And so <clears throat> Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 11, verse number 8, as it is written, God had given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear. Unto this day, as he went on to say in verse number 9, that David saith, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their backs always. And so it was written that because they refused to look, because they refused to believe, because they had it right under their nose, because the Word of God had written, and here is the fulfillment. Jesus Christ is before their very eyes in fulfillment of all that the prophets had prophesied, yet they did not see, they did not understand, they were under judicial blindness because they could have seen, they could have understood, but they refused to see, because they didn't want it. They were perfectly content with the establishment. The leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those that made up the Sanhedrin, uh, they were gloating in their power. They were sick with authority and they didn't want no king ruling over them at that time. They were perfectly happy where they were at. And so they refused to look. And God brought them under judicial judgment. And he said their backs would be bowed down to oppression. 
And so it did happen as prophesied by Daniel the prophet. In Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, he gives prophecy concerning 70 weeks that are determined upon God's people, Israel, and upon their city, Jerusalem. And we are told that in the 62nd week their Messiah would come, and in the 69th week their Messiah would be cut off. And 70 years later, the prince of Rome would come marching in and destroy the people and scatter them. For we read over in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 9 and verse number 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people, but the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end thereof shall be with a flood. Unto the end of the war, desolation are determined. God made it very clear. This is what's determined upon the nation of Israel. And God had fulfilled his very words that he promised unto Israel because of their lack of faith, because of their rebellion, because they refused to see. They were a people that could have been free, but they refused to see and they came under bondage. And what, has, what happened to Israel then can very well happen to us today. A famous president said that we can be our own destruction. I want to quote from you. Here's what he said. At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step from the oceans and crush us at one blow? Never! All the armies of Europe and Asia and Africa combined could not force take a drink from the Ohio, to make a track on the Blue Ridge, or in the trail of the thousand years. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer thee, if it ever reaches us, it must spring from among us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all times or die by suicide. We are made a free people. We've been made free in Christ. We have been set free from the world. And we find that America was established on these Christian principles. But we continue to give up our freedom. We continue to give up our right to go door to door and tell other people about Jesus Christ. We continue to allow others to silence us in preaching the gospel and as these freedoms are taken away from us, and our voice is taken away from us, we will no longer be a free people. And when you can mark it down, Christians today, that they not, will not take a stand for God, and they will not live under the freedom of God's word, and be free from sin, and allow Christ to reign within their lives, then they will become the servants of sin, and bring about their own destruction. These things have been promised unto us, and they're written in the Word of God, and yet we do not see them, or they do not see them, many because their eyes are blinded. What is so interesting about all of this is the day and time that we are living in, and yet people can't see what God is doing. Israel as a nation was cursed 
and they were scattered to the four corners of the world. Just as the prophecy of Daniel had promised, General Titus came in 70 years after Christ was crucified, bringing an end, as we understand, uh, to the prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. And so they were brought to desolation until the determined time in which God would bring them back. Amen. And what is interesting in Scripture is the Bible makes it very clear uh, that <clears throat> God would bring them back. We know by history that General Titus did march in. We know by history more than 1.2 million Jews were slaughtered and killed and their bodies were stacked up and the blood run through the gates of the city to the outer gates. We know that the rest of the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the world, but God made a promise to Israel. God made a promise that in the last days he would bring them back. Now what's interesting is we're living in a day and time where we find more and more Christians that are pulling away from the understanding and the faith that Jesus Christ could come at any time. They're pulling away from the faith that Israel will be brought back or Israel is brought back. They consider the people that are over there in Israel right now to be nothing more than a bunch of Bolsheviks that the true Jews are still scattered. And these are not true Jews that are ruling in Israel. And the true church is the church of Jesus Christ and it is the Israel. We are the spiritual Israel. There is no distinction between Israel and the church. We're all the same. We're all one. They don't believe that there is a bride of Christ and the bride of God. Amen. They don't understand what the Bible has to say. But I want you to notice something. Jesus Christ made it very clear that in the last days Israel would be brought back. That her fig tree would again begin to produce leaves. And she would blossom out. And she would bear fruit. And in that day and time, he said, watch that fig tree. So when she begins to blossom out, know that my coming is in that generation. And therefore, we must understand that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. The Heavenly Father has espoused himself unto an unfaithful bride. He betrothed her and she went into idolatry. She forsook him and went after pagan gods and she committed spiritual adultery. And therefore God divorced her and he cut her off. But he promised that in the last days he would forgive her and that he would bring her back in. And that he would reestablish his relationship with marriage with her. And he would set her up as a kingdom and she would dwell with him and he would dwell with her for a thousand years. All of that has been prophesied in the word of God. And yet so many today do not believe it. They do not see it. What is interesting, if you take your Bible and look over at Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. Remember Hosea. He was married into a wife by the name of Gomer. The Lord told him, I want you to go marry this unfaithful woman. And she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. And she was a very wicked and unstable person. But the Lord said unto Hosea, a very righteous and pure man, I want you to go and marry her. And then after he had married her, she left him. And she went off. And she started having relationships with other people, with other men. 
and she was polluted and she became a slave and she was put on the, on the bidding block and God told Hosea to go back and buy her and purchase her and bring her back. And God reckons this to be that of Israel. Notice what we read beginning with verse number 12 of Hosea chapter 2. He says, I will, I will destroy her vines and her fig trees whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lover hath given me. I will make them a forest and the beast of the field shall eat them. I will visit upon her. In the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and jewels, and she went after her lovers, and forget me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give to her her vineyards from thence, and the valleys of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And in, and in those days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishai. Ishai means husband. And shall call me no more Balai, which means master, for I will take away the name of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall, and there shall be no more be the remembrance by their names that in that day I will make a covenant for her with the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercy. This is the revival of the fig tree. Amen. Now I want you to understand there's a distinction between the bride of Christ and the bride of Jehovah. The bride of Christ, as we understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2, is a chaste virgin. She's never one after the whoring of other gods. She hasn't forsaken the Lord Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, she's faithfully proclaimed the word of God. I'm not talking about the Catholic church. I'm talking about the churches that stood for the word of God down through the church age. The 50 million that were slaughtered by the apostates. I'm talking about those that were faithful to the word of God. Jesus Christ says over in Ephesians chapter 5 concerning his bride. That not only did he make her a chaste bride. But he has kept her to be a chaste bride. Our righteousness is not within ourselves. But in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ has his bride. And the heavenly father has his bride. And these replacement theology people, they can't see it. And the greatest argument you have against their argument is right here in the book of Hosea chapter 2. We have a beautiful illustration of these two marriages in the story of Joseph. When Joseph was carried off into Egypt. And there God had raised him up to become the Pharaoh 
second man, the governor over all of Egypt. And Joseph married a Gentile bride. And when the time of great famine came, the Gentile bride was placed in a beautiful celestial palace where Joseph made sure to take care of her while Jehovah's bride was out there in Egypt, out there in the fields of the world. But God intervened and God took care of her during those seven years. What a beautiful picture. And they cannot see that because their eyes are blinded. We have many today that do not understand what God is doing. They do not see that America is in prophecy. God, I believe, refers to America as the great Babylon of our day. And God makes it very clear that this great Babylon of our day is going to be destroyed. When God brings Israel back, God destroys this Babylon. Notice over in Jeremiah chapter 50, beginning with verse number 18. When God brings Israel back into the land, he says, I will bring Israel again to his habitation and shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. And the soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. And in those days, and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. But notice what he says about Babylon when he brings Israel back into her land. Notice in verse number 23. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become desolate among the nations? I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon. And thou wast not aware. Thou art found and art also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. The Lord hath opened his armory. He hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For it is the work of the Lord, the host of the land of the Chaldeans. Come up against her from the other boaters. Open her storehouses and cast her up as heaps and destroy her utterly. For nothing of her is to be left. I believe God is talking about the United States of America. When he brings Israel back into the land. Here's a nation. We kind of get a hint of her, maybe over in Isaiah chapter 18, where she is divided by the rivers, and she is a nation that sends forth her ambassadors to all the different places of the world, and she buys imports, and she buy and sends off uh, the exports and imports, and, and she is sitting as a queen, but yet God will bring her down to nothing. Why? Because she's turned her back upon the Lord. She's turned to wickedness. She's oppressing the godly. And she's living for the wicked. And they're passing laws and legislating laws of immorality and ungodliness. And so they've turned their backs upon the Lord. I believe that God is speaking here concerning America. And while Israel is brought back into the land, we're going to wither away. Unless revival breaks out for a little longer. And I don't know if that's possible. 
I believe the Lord is coming very soon. God help us to realize how important it is that we turn our hearts to the Lord. We find our churches today profiting from the people of faith. Just as the children of Israel were profiting, we have ransacked the temple of God. We have desecrated the sanctuaries. We make our pulpits a place to where we preach all kinds of liberal ideas and doctrines that amount to nothing. We no longer exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer exalt righteousness. We allow all the ungodly to come in and stand behind our pulpits. And we no longer honor the word of God. We have women pastors. We have gay and lesbian pastors. We have churches today that are so filled with the abomination of God's word. It brings the stench of their smell before the Lord. And God is putrefied at what is going on in many of our churches today. And they just don't see it. They're comfortable and they're happy and the pastor's there and they're selling all their books and they're selling their CDs and they're making merchandise out of the Word of God. Everything has a copyright and people are being charged an exorbitant price. And we see all of this and we see people coming into the house carrying their tobacco, carrying their drugs and drinking in the house of God and in the place called the sanctuary of the Lord. They're bringing their vessels polluted with the unrighteousness of this world, drunken and filled with drugs, cursing and abominations. All the filthiness and wickedness that goes on in the world is now in the church. And we don't understand that Jesus Christ has been pushed out. How sad all of this is. And then as we move on, we see in verse number 18 and 19, that we finally have come to a place where faith is being prohibited. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and they sought how they might destroy him at his doctrine. Oh, they're trying to do the same thing today. You see, today we are moving toward a selective society by a process of elimination. This process of elimination is done by establishing that any person, any culture, any behavior, any doctrine that is counterproductive to the general movement of our society needs to be eliminated. They consider us to be hostile. And it is imperative that we be removed because we're going against the very movement of this new culture and therefore, we must be stopped. We must be silenced. And by the way, that goes for any past culture that they're setting out to silence. And you say, well, what in the world is going on? Well, by definition, it's called cancel culture. According to Wikipedia, it explains cancel culture in the following way. It's a called out culture in the modern form of ostracism. In which someone is thrust out of a social or professional circle. Whether it is online or social media or in person. Those subjects to this ostracism are said to have been cancelled. And that's exactly what they want to do. They want to cancel you out. They want to cancel you out. They want to cancel you out. They want to cancel out this pulpit. They want to cancel out the word of God. And they're doing a good job of it. When they can cancel out our president and cut him off from the social networks, you know they can do the same to you. 
We're living in very unusual days. And therefore, it is a hostile movement. They seek to punish you for speaking out. You, when you speak out on any opposing views that the majority supports, they assure you that they're coming after you. They'll cut you from the social media. They'll go after your job. They'll seek to have you fired. Even Hollywood superstars are being canceled out. They're speaking up and saying, because I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that, I'm losing my contracts, I'm losing millions of dollars, they're canceling me out. It's a hostile movement. It's being taught within our public schools. And it's the playbook of Revelation chapter 13 where they're going to bring us all into conformity. And those that refuse to be brought into conformity, they're going to be either locked up or put to death. So we find that we're living in a day and time where we have COVID-19 vaccine mandates. We have cryptocurrency that is soon to become the world's currency. We're moving toward a cashless society. We, I never thought I'd see the day to where this would all happen so quickly. But where here we are. We're living in a day where they can take a small little tiny chip and they can encode all your information, all your banking information, and they can insert that under your skin. And now we have cryptocurrency that soon will become the world's currency. It'll be placed on a coin or on a card, but eventually it'll be placed under your skin. It just has been revealed that within the COVID-19 vaccine, COVID standing for corona, corona means crown, VI standing for virus, D standing for disease, 19 standing for the year that it was put out there to the world. Now they have a vaccine. And inside that vaccine is a tiny microchip so small that it can be put on the end of a pin of a needle with encoded messages in it. They're already finding this out. It's circulating through your blood right now. It's a metal fragment. It's out there. You can check it out for yourself. It's moving toward the chip that's going to go under your skin. And yet, so many have their heads buried in the sand. They put their faith in our government, believing that our government knows best. Just recently, the FDA, by a council vote of 16 to 2, said we need to hold off on this new vaccine that's supposed to go out there to help everyone overcome their, their, their virus infection. It was completely ruled out this is not the way our government said we need to go yeah they want to follow the science but they're not going to listen to the fda they're not going to listen to 16 leading scientists two of them resigning from the fda that said wait a minute let's hold off on this next vaccine there's some things we're not sure about and yet they want you to get it they want your children to get it they want everyone to get it they're even talking about forcing people to get it. And those that refuse to get it, we're the problem. We're infecting everyone. The vaccine's supposed to be safe. If I have measles and I've been vaccinated from measles, 
Well, then I no longer get the measles. I don't have to be afraid of you having measles. If I never had the measles, I've been vaccinated from the measles. I could be around those that have the measles. Because I'm vaccinated, I won't be infected by the measles. But if you have the vaccine and you're around the unvaccinated, you can be infected. Does that make any sense? This is the day and time we're living in. God help us to wake up and to understand that it's all moving toward Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. It's moving toward what we read over in Revelation, chapter 6. Oh, there's a man coming on a white horse. And he's going to conquer. And he doesn't have to have any arrows in, for his bow. He's just simply going to get it done. He's going to get it done through peace. People are going to submit because they trust government more than they trust science. That's where we're at today. They trust government more than they trust the Bible. I trust the Bible over science. I trust the Bible over the government. I trust the Bible over man. I trust God. So where are we right now? We're either buckling down and standing firm, or we're caving in and going along with the flow. And there are some that say, you know, I'm too fearful to go to church. I'm too fearful to be around God's people. Oh, I've had the vaccine, but I'm going to wear the mask. I'm going to stay away from the unvaccinated because my government told me that they're a threat. Or are we going to stand? Are we going to continue to come together and be faithful? Are we going to stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ in this day and time? Are we going to come apart and allow the world to destroy us from within? And so that's what we're seeing going on in many of our churches today. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 14, we are told, stand therefore. Verse number 15, as we are told to stand therefore, having our loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse number 15, we are told that our feet at the same time need to be shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, in verse number 16, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to stand or you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You see, while we're in the battle, we need to still be preaching Christ. While we're in the battle, we still need to be going out there knocking doors. While we're in the battle, no, we're not to be social distancing ourselves from the lost people. We're to be out there telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our feet need to be shod with the gospel of peace. We need to stand with the assurance and with the faith that my God is able to protect me. He is my shield of defense. He is my protector. He is the vaccination that I need. All I need is the word of God just poured into my soul and running through the veins of my being. That's all I need. And God will protect me. And by doing so, our faith will grow. By grow, doing so, we'll stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice these last words in verse number 25. Or in, pardon me, in Mark's gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus Christ made it very clear that if we cannot forgive our brothers. This is kind of an interesting thought here as we bring this to a close. He says, therefore, I say unto you. Whatsoever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. 
that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. You know, there's more division. I know this sounds a little off the wall, but there's more division in the church now than ever before. Because there are some people that have been vaccinated and others say, well, you shouldn't have got vaccinated. And then there are those that are vaccinated and say, well, wait a minute, you need to get vaccinated. And so the church is divided, divided over this stupid vaccine. And they're not coming together. And the Lord is, and the, and the Lord is commanding us, hey, we need to stand in faith. We need to believe that God is greater than the vaccine. We need to believe that God is able to protect us. And if someone wants to get the vaccine, let them get the vaccine. That's between them and the Lord. I choose not to get the vaccine. But I'm not going to fight with my brother. I'm not going to be bitter at my brother. I'm not going to hate my brother. Because all this bitterness and hate that's being created in our churches today and the division that's going on in our churches all comes from the pits of hell and it causes us to fail in the grace of God. The Bible says, looking diligently lest any man fail in the grace of God. And the failing grace that I see right now is the division that's going on in the church. We need to come together. We need to work together. We need to stand together. And, and we need to trust God to protect us and to care for us. And I believe he will. The Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to the will of God, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. My prayer is, Lord, protect me from this disease. Lord, give me the strength. If, if it's really out there and if there is something to it, then, Lord, I believe greater is you that's in me than the vaccine that goes into so many people. And I'm going to trust you to protect me. I'm going to trust you to hedge me up. I'm going to trust you, if I do get it, to get me through it. I'm going to trust my T-cells that you put in my body to outperform any kind of vaccine that may try to change those T-cells. I'm trusting God. And if someone else who is weaker in faith and fearful of dying and wants to run to the clinic and get the shot, and I, I'm not trying to be facetious, I'm try, not trying to be mean. If they feel like they need to get the vaccine, well, that's between them and the Lord. I love them, Amen. and I want us to work together, okay, with every head bowed. I believe I'm speaking to an audience of believers here. If you can't see that we are living in the shadow of the tribulation period, if you can't see what's going on today, that it's all pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's so much that we could touch on this morning. By the way, tonight we will touch on some of that as we get into those ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's image. And I believe the rock is just about ready to come down and smite those ten toes. We are almost there. We are living in a day and time where our freedoms are being ripped from us. We are watching before our very eyes a global 
movement that is seeking to completely dictate our lives. If there's ever a time that we as Christians need to be ready and standing and serving at us now, I don't know how much time we have left. But as I watch what's going on with the nation of Israel, as I see what's going on within our own nation with same-sex marriage, with the division, all the fighting, all the mandates, all the hatred that's being spewed out by the media. By the way, academia, when we get back to cancel culture, academia is the one that's pushing this. And there are students that are graduating from these places of higher learning are now being put into our government. They're being elected into our offices, both within the Republican office and the Democratic office. They have an entirely different mindset. They're also <clears throat> becoming the new journalist. And they're controlling the media. And so we're finding more and more of a saturation of this, of this indoctrination. If there's ever been a time to where we need to be aware of what they're trying to funnel into your, our hearts and minds, it's now. And if there's ever been a time that we need to be into the Word of God so that we can filter out all of this and understand what is truth and what isn't. Get into the Word of God and have our eyes open as to what's going on. My goodness, it's now. I just wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you can honestly say in your heart, Preacher, I believe that I'm ready. I believe that I'm at that place where God wants me. I'm serving the Lord. I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid. I'm not threatened by what's going on in this world. I'm excited about the coming of Jesus and if anything, I just want to draw closer to him. Is it, how many of you could say that with a raised hand? Thank you. You may put those hands down. I heard it said just the other day that, <clears throat> that unbelief is not really unbelief, but it's really rebellion. When you sit and you hear the word of God and you say, well, I believe that, but I'm not going to do that then it's rebellion. When we sit there and we know what we're supposed to do, we say we believe it, but we don't do it. It's not because of unbelief, but it's because of rebellion. If you believe what you should be doing and for some reason you just refuse to do it, is that the way you want to meet your Savior? With a rebellious heart? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Well, there's many that say, yes, preacher, I've trusted him, but they haven't followed him in believer's baptism. Do you believe it's true that every Christian that is saved needs to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Well, yes. Then if you don't follow him, it's rebellion. You say, well, preacher, I believe that it's true that we as Christians need to be faithful to God's house. Well, if you just show up on Sunday morning... When you know the doors are open Sunday night and Wednesday night and you just refuse to come, then, friends, it's rebellion. 
because we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some do. You say, well, I believe I need to read my Bible every day, but you don't do it, then it's rebellion because the Bible tells us, God tells us, Jesus says that we need to live every day by the bread of life. So is there rebellion 